Hello, and welcome to Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. I am today's host, Coach Lexi Miller. You are not enough, your workouts aren't perfect, and your goal is out of reach. You weigh too much, your muscles are small, you don't even look like an athlete. Does any of this sound familiar? All too often, we get stuck in a rut of negative storytelling or perfectionistic thinking. While striving to be the best might sound like the key to success, it commonly leads to burnout or emotional breakdown. In today's episode, I am joined by two amazing women from the Alliance of Social Workers in Sport, Jessica Joyner and Salida Lucero, who go into the mental obstacles that athletes face on their way to the top. In this conversation, we discuss the pressure to succeed to be perfect, social comparison, and societal oppression that can cause stress on an athlete. This episode was recorded in June and does not go into any hot button topics from recent Olympic trials. If you'd like to dive more into those or would like to hear more about mental or emotional wellness, as well as equality in sport, please send your questions via the email or the voice memo app directions in the show notes. Now let's dive in. Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Defining Endurance. This is Coach Lexi Miller, and I am super excited today to be joined by Jessica and Salida, uh, both of whom are members of the Alliance of Social Work Social Workers in Sport. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about perfectionism in sport and how it affects performance. For those who, who don't know, um, I worked in the mental health field for about eight years before becoming a coach, and this is something very close to my heart. So I'm so excited to be joined by these two awesome ladies. Jessica and Salida, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, so first, I just kind of want to hear a little bit more about both of you, um, kind of who you are, how you came to, to both find yourself in athletics as well as a social worker. So uh, we'll start with Jessica and then go to Salida. Um, so Jessica, tell me a little bit more about your background. Sure. Um, I am, uh, I've been in the field, in the mental health field for, I don't know, gosh, almost 14 years and um, worked in mostly agency work. Um, but recently, just a few years ago, started my own private practice where I decided I wanted to focus on athletes. Um, but I chose social work uh, because there are just so many ways to affect change on a macro and micro level. Um, and my focus is mostly on the micro level, doing therapy with clients um, and helping them obtain some self-determination to affect positive changes in their own lives. Um, and I also love how social work promotes individual and community well-being um, by addressing all of the intersectionalities of systems and and advocating for marginalized popula populations. Um, so uh, I feel like um, I've been an advocate for most of my life as a Latinx Native American female, um, and this was just kind of a natural fit for me. Um, so one of the reasons why I focus on athletes is um, because I, I think the majority of athletes are actually from underrepresented populations. and. I not only wanted to advocate for them uh, and with them, 
but I also wanted to provide a mental health um, professional that is a person of color to sit across from them as they talk about these issues and talk about their mental health um, because there's not so many of us. <laughs> Um, and there are so many ways and issues and systems of intersectionality in sports where social work can have a really powerful impact for positive change. Um, and I just really wanted to be a part of that. And as an athlete and married to a former collegiate athlete and so many of my friends are athletes, I really just saw a need um, that was there, um, a need to dispel the myth that athletes don't have any issues because they're athletes. <laughs> Uh, the need to normalize and destigmatize mental health and how it impacts both uh, athletes both on and off the field. Um, and the need for, you know, to advocate for athletes and the importance for their overall well-being in order for other entities um, and organizations to see them as actual human beings and not just commodities. That is so incredible. At Lifelong Endurance, our coaching company, we work primarily with cyclists and runners. I see that you are uh, the USA Cycling Mental Health Specialist. Um, is cycling your, your sport of choice or, or where do you find your, your passion outdoors? Uh, no, uh, softball was my number one uh, uh, sport <laughs> as a Selena. And, uh, but no, I, um, I loved all sports and, you know, my dad played baseball, uh, back in the day and was really, really good at baseball and wrestling. And, uh, my husband's a track, uh, track runner and triple jumper. And, um, so I, I, I love all kinds of sports and, um, but my sport was, was softball. Um, that was my first love, um, played that since I was in third grade. Um, but I do cycle now. I, I am not, I would not say I'm an a good cycler, <laughs> but I do love to cycle, uh, have a road bike and I, we get out and ride, uh, try to get out and ride every, every week and do at least like 20 miles or so. So, uh, so it's fun. We just like the outdoors and, and we like to be athletic, uh, and, and go out and get, get some sun and some, uh, fresh air and, you know, just get the endorphins going. <laughs> That is so great. Uh, so, Salita, tell us a little bit more about you and your background with both sport and, and social work. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I never saw this as my career growing up. I wanted to be a police officer growing up. I actually had my um, my application in to become a police officer. And I pulled it because I started working at a residential treatment facility for at-risk youth. And I just fell in love with working with those girls and like, you know, help, like just giving them like that space to talk about what they needed to talk about to get over it. And so I fell in love with that. And so I decided to go back to school um, and went to the University of Denver for my social work uh, masters. And, um, but then after that, I was kind of just sitting there and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, did I work, want to work with girls? I knew I want to work with adolescents, but in what realm did I want to work with them in? And so I was just really confused. So I went to a therapist myself, a therapist that saw therapists, cause that's what we need to call us on our, you know, bullshit for the lack of better words. And, you know, I I contemplated just quitting social work in general and actually being like a personal trainer because I like to work out. I love 
playing sports. I love moving. I That's what I love. And she's like, well, why can't you be like a therapist for athletes? And I was like, is that a thing? And she's like, I don't know. Go look it up. So I looked it up. And literally, the day I looked it up, there was a conference. The Alliance of Social Work and Sports had a conference here in Denver, like two weeks from the day that I looked it up. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. And you know, bought my tickets. And that's where I met Jessica. And we've clicked since then, because I was just like, wow, like, this couldn't be more perfect of working with athletes mental health. I love being a, you know, a therapist, a counselor, and I love sports. And to put those two things together is a dream come true, right? I'm I'm really living the saying of do what you love, you know, and so um, I've been working really hard over the past couple years since I met Jessica to like really get my own private practice up off the ground running um, and, you know, trying to figure out how to work with athletes in a capacity. So it's it's been really great. Um, I have a small private practice, you know, and I'm I got a job. Um, it's called. GALS, it stands for Girls Athletic Leadership School. So we promote women empowerment. We promote um, movement of the body, you know? And so like we're moving with the girls multiple times throughout the day, taking breaks, you know, we're just doing things a little bit different. So I really love that about it. Um, And so I'm just... it's amazing. And I think it's really important to highlight, you know, that, like Jessica said, athletes aren't immune to, um, to, to mental health disorders. And I think that a lot of athletes use sports to cope with what's going on in their lives, whether it's trauma, whether it's mental health, you know, whatever it is, they're using that sport to cope. But what happens when that, that sport starts becoming another stressor? What are they going to use to cope, right? And these are the things that people don't think about, right? And so I think that's that's a huge step of like having these conversations and, you know, and like Jessica said, having people that look like you to talk to, right? I'm a a mixed race female, Black, Latina, Native American, you know, and I want people, athletes to be able to sit in front of me and feel comfortable, you know, and and it's just having a conversation. That's what it is at the end of the day is sitting down and being open and trusting with a therapist to be 100% your authentic self. So I think it's great. Jessica highlighted the intersectionalities of, you know, sports and therapy and all of that stuff. So, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, we can get this out more and that more and more clinicians start to come over to this way of supporting athletes. That is so incredible. And I really love that, you know, you talk about how you are passionate about working with young women as well as you know, making sure that athletes see other people who look like them. In a previous episode, we speak, we spoke with Addie Bracey and she talks about um, her work with OutRun and uh, sexuality and how important it is for, for, again, athletes to kind of see that. So I think that's something that all of us need to be mindful of is, is how to 
be encouraging of it, how to embrace that. And also congratulations on studying in private practice. Um, you know, I don't think that people understand how hard that is. So congratulations. Like, I just want to take a moment to, to really like let that sink in for people that you're able to do that. That's so awesome. You mentioned softball earlier and then also personal training. What's, what's your athletic passion? Um, so definitely softball. Number one, I, I fell in love with it. I saw my cousin playing when I was like three or four. It's one of my earliest memories. And I said, mom, throw the glove on me. Now I can go out there and do that. I could do that better than anybody out there. And she was like, no, you can't just go out there. And so sorry to like the little church league. My mom forged my birth certificate so that I can play at the age of four. You had to be six to play. So I've been playing softball since the age of four, loved it, been playing it, played it at the college level, um, had my own mental health issues going through of like, you know, being hurt. So I like I've had three ACL tears in the same knee. So I definitely understand how things in sports happen that affect your mental health that lead into depression or substance abuse and, you know, all of these different things. Um, but currently my sport of choice is boxing. I'm definitely going to be competing in the Golden Gloves next week. Um, yeah, and shout out to Bring It Back Boxing and my coach, Hector. Um, he's been great since day one and it's gotten me to where I need to be to start competing. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we'll just also take a moment and be like, Salida's just a badass. Uh, so that is so cool. Uh, I didn't know about the boxing. You know, I, I had seen, you know, softball and that. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Uh, definitely tough ladies play softball, but that's incredible. So today, you know, I really wanted to talk about perfectionism and performance and how it, it affects athletes. Um, as a coach, it's something I see almost all my athletes deal with in one way or another when facing workouts, races, race performances. Um, whether they're, you know, a woman in their twenties or a, a man in, um, their late fifties, it's something that all athletes struggle with to start off. What is perfectionism and how might it be beneficial in sport? So if you want kind of the, the technical definition, I guess is, you know, perfectionism is just this uh, kind of broad personality style. Um, and it usually describes a person that, um, is really hyper-focused on being flawless, uh, in whatever task they're performing. Um, it's the need to kind of appear to be perfect. Um, and it's often accompanied by critical self-evaluation and concerns uh, regarding other other people's evaluations of them. Um, can kind of be a double-edged sword. So you you asked if uh, how it can be beneficial. And I think there's there's a piece of that that can be. Um, there's, there's a couple of, the double-edged sword is kind of perfectionist, perfectionistic striving and versus kind of perfectionistic concern. Um, and striving is maybe where it can be um, the healthy side of it, where that's when we're setting the high goals and we're really focused on our performance and um, establishing, um, not only setting, but establishing those goals. And then the um, it, that perfectionistic striving can be can be the motivating factor. It can give an athlete, you know, some drive and purpose. Um, and during this phase, we're kind of, we can basically display, you know, really high organizational skills and determination and um, have a really strong work ethic. Um, but that can quickly kind of turn and cross that, that gray line, if you will, 
um, into that perfectionistic concern, uh, which is when an athlete really becomes that hyper-focused on making mistakes and the fear of doing so. Um, and when that worry um, becomes, um, that worry basically takes over, right? And um, there's, there's no other way for them to kind of get away from that. Um, they, they really focus on their, the performance and any discrepancy gap that they have for excessively high um, goals, right? So they have goals that are way up here um, and then they, their performance is here, which is not a bad performance, right? But that gap in between what they expected and what they did is so great that they're so disappointed and it comes with a lot of kind of that self, um, it can become self-loathing, but it can be at, before it becomes that self-loathing, it, it basically is really just that severe self-criticism. Um, and they, an athlete can really struggle to effectively manage that perfect, the perfectionistic concern piece of this. And that's when it can definitely have an impact uh, a negative impact on them because it, it just kind of starts to spiral. And it, and it goes alongside with, um, you know, the benefits is like she said, like Jessica said was, you know, they are, they, they, they have these tasks, they're meeting them, you know, it's good. They're motivated. People see them as a go-getter, high achiever and stuff like that. So it, it, it it's almost like an obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Like they have to do everything right on time, you know, all of those things. So, it, and, and a lot of times the obsessive compulsive personality disorder goes overlooked because they're just doing what they need to do. Right. But then, you know, on the other side of that is, you know, it, it gets in the way of relationships. It gets in the way of other aspects in their, their day-to-day -day lives you know, where their relationships with friends, parents, you know, um, they might be lacking in other areas. So it, it actually is a good thing, you know, for what their, what their goal is, because they have like that tunnel vision, but they don't see if they're hurting people, like, and like just walking over people and doing all these things in the meantime, you know, and so I think that's a huge piece. And I, and I, can't stress enough is that relationship piece. It can get in the way of those relationships because they're so tunnel visioned of what they need to get done that they're not looking, you know, and not living in that gray area. It's either black or white. No, I think those are really great points that you both made about, you know, it's the relationships involved, how it becomes kind of a single-minded way of thinking. So, you know, both of you work with athletes, you know, in your private practices as well as with your, um, with the organization. So how do you deal with athletes when you see this starting to creep up or what are some things you've seen in athletes when they're dealing with perfectionism? I think I see a lot of, like I said, those relationship issues, you know, with their peers, with their family, um, them unable to cope, you know, with if things don't go exactly the way that they're supposed to go. Um, and, and I think that's really hard because it, the, like I said, they're not, they're using black or white thinking. It's one way or another way. There's no, oh, well, it's going to be okay if I don't get it done. I can get it done tomorrow, right? It's no, I got to get it done right now. No, I got to win this match right now, or I'm a failure. And it's, and it's really 
horrible because if it gets too bad, then it's, you know, then you, they start having the doubts of who they are and their abilities. And that can lead to like suicidal thoughts and their, their feeling of worthiness. And so, you know, I think a lot of times with people or athletes or anybody in general, exposure therapy is a huge piece with perfectionism and anxiety disorders in general, because there's a realm of it, of, you know, exposing them of like, okay, let's in this therapeutic setting, you know, do something and like, let's not do it all the way. You know, let's, let's stop. And how do you feel? And like, let's talk through these things. What can you do to, to help these, this feeling that you have inside, you know, to get through the rest of the day and knowing that life still goes on if you don't get this done. And if you don't get it done perfect, or if you miss one step, it's still a beautiful thing that you're doing. And I think I see a lot of, a lot of anxiety disorders, right. That come along with perfectionism. Um, so a lot of anxiety, a lot of even the, the depression, um, much like Salita was kind of referring to, I think this can also lead to, you know, obsessive compulsive disorders like OCD. Um, and you know, there's, that's typically what I, I see in, in, or what I've dealt with in my practice and just a lot of anxiety, um, perfectionism comes with that and, and anxiety is about control. And, and so is perfect, you know, so is perfectionism. And so, um, part of the way that they feel in control is by kind of doing what Salita was talking about, kind of having that regimented schedule and getting things done and making sure that everything's really in order and organized. Right. Um, and so that's a way of feeling in control. But when things start to get um, out of control by say, oh, I didn't I didn't do well on that play or I didn't do good in this game and that feels out of control. And so then that starts to create a lot of that anxiety, um, which can also then lead to depression. But um, that anxiety piece, you know, really stands out um, and they start to kind of get into that negative self-talk of. I'm no good, right? Like really internalizing things. Um, and that mistake becomes becomes the biggest focus and they don't focus on on, on those things that they did well in a match or uh, in a practice or in a game, right? They focus only on the one little small mistake that they made, but that becomes like the only thing that they can see. And so they they become very anxious about that too. And how do I fix that? And, and almost like, like in the addiction cycle, kind of that preoccupation of how am I going to fix that? When am I going to fix it? What's that going to look like next? Which can actually lead to poor performance outcomes versus, you know, uh, positive performance outcomes. No, I think that's such an important thing to note is how performance can be affected by, by this way of thinking. Um, I was just going to add, you know, I'm reading um, Tim S. Grover's books, Relentless and Winning, and Winning just came out. And one of the parts that he highlights is, you know, while working with like some professional basketball players is, you know, teaching them how to, that not every pass is going to be perfect, that they're like in a game, it's going to be very different from practice. And so, you know, 
when he's working with his athletes, he'll throw passes like down to the ground, really high and still having them shoot the ball because he wants them to be prepared for every, you know, thing because nothing's going to be perfect, you know, and maybe you'll get the perfect pass one time. You're not going to get the perfect pass the next time. And so he's really talking about and that and that's going back to like kind of that exposure therapy of like, let's let's start practicing these things, you know, let's start talking about these things and preparing you for these things. So that way, when game time comes, you're ready for any of the possibilities versus I need that perfect pass to make the perfect play. And then if not, then I can't go on with the rest of the game because then I'm blaming my teammate for, you know, not making the pass and then I'm not making the play. And it's just, it gets out of control. Right. And so um, I, and, and it go, and it, another example is like when your boss gives you an evaluation and they tell you, you know, 99 things that you've done right and giving you one thing to to work on and you're only hyper focused on that one thing to work on and you're forgetting about all the things that you're doing great you know it it's a work in progress so when it comes to your health and longevity you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll unlock real time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personalized trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash defining endurance. That's insidetracker.com forward slash defining endurance. That is great. And we'll link those two books in our show notes so that people can look that up. They sound like really great reads and, and something that is just, you know, important to kind of remember that, yeah, the world's not perfect. And so whether it's blaming yourself or others, it's, it's never helpful. Um, so kind of going along with that, you know, definitely kind of going, talking about other people and how that might affect perfectionism, looking at things like social media, how does comparison play into perfectionism? You know, social media, I'm so glad that I am not an adolescent growing up in the world of social media. I have MySpace, and that was about it when I was growing up. But the fact that everybody, no one puts on Instagram or Snapchat or any of that their failures, right? They're going to put on those things, you know, the them winning, but you didn't see the 20 times that they lost before. Right. You didn't see, you know, like in my case, like I've, I try to have other private practices that didn't work out. Now I have a private practice, you know, it's, it's been a process, right? It's, it's a process and I don't show you the process. I show you the results. Right. And, and in social media, people show you the results. People show you what they want to show you. Um, like the Bow Wow challenge a couple years ago where he's getting on a jet saying it's his jet. You know, people found out it's not his jet and, you know, it's all of these things. And so it's just like they put on social media what they want to put on social media to show that they have a good life. 
Does that mean that they have a good life with their mental, physical, emotional health? Not necessarily. And so it's like we need to stop comparing ourselves to somebody else because it's their winning season. Your winning season may come next season. You just don't know, right? And it's enjoying the process. And I love that phrase of just enjoying the process because once you once you get to the point where you want to be at, what next, right? And we're always asking, what's next? What's next? What's next? Enjoy the process. Enjoy, you know, getting there. And once you get there, enjoy having it, you know? And I think it's like our society has always pushed us. You need to do this next. You need to do this next. You can't be happy till you do X, Y, and Z. No, you just really need to figure out and dig deep within yourself to figure out what is going to make you happy. Cause that's in, in the end, that's what makes you happy? Yeah, and I would say the comparison piece, you know, again, that's kind of that double-edged sword too, um, where there can be good comparisons um, by way of, oh my gosh, you know, like Serena Williams, first black player, right? Tennis player to reach this, to reach that, to do this. Imagine what I can do, right? She did this and that's like the aspiring, right? She's inspiring, And that gives us something to aspire to, right? So in that way, like comparison can be helpful because it can show us like, man, if if so-and-so can do it, then then so can I, right? Then I can step up and I can work hard and I can do this. The comparison piece, not only with the social media, you know, on that negative side, but when we just compare ourselves, regardless if social media is involved in that or not, but when when we look at others and say, well, you know, they got this and how did they get that? And why am I not there? Why have I not done that yet? Why am I not that good? Right. And when, when we kind of compare in that way, that's, that's when it's that like devaluing process of who we are and and our capabilities and abilities. Um, And it's, it's detrimental to us, right? It kind of then leads right back into that negative self-talk and that negative mindset, which is, you know, really detrimental and, and a lot of perfectionists have that when they're on that um, negative side of perfectionism, right? That very self-critical um, and, and like I said, devaluing um, space where that's all we can think of. That's our narrative in our head often. So if we can shift that to kind of being like, well, if I'm going to compare myself, I want to be, I want it to be in an inspiring way. I want to look at people who inspire me. And then I want to aspire to do similar things. I may not ever be as great of a tennis player as, as Serena Williams, but can I get out there and can I hit the ball and can I have fun doing it? And can I challenge myself to be better? Right. Um, And that's, that's, I think a, a good way to kind of do that comparison. And leave social media alone, right? <laughs> Turn off social media sometimes. You have to get away from it to because, like Salita said, you know, people show you what they want to want want you to see, and that's a not always real, and and b right, like that's the end result of a process, like Salita was talking about, and and we don't see the struggle that it took to get there. And also unfollow those people you're comparing yourselves to, whoever's listening to this, like, just unfollow them like that. I think that's the best thing that you can do. Unfollow them and start focusing on your own journey 
and follow some very affirmation pages um, because I think that's going to be better than you continue to follow this fitness model that has the body you want. Mm-mm, you got to start learning how to love your body and figuring out what body that you want and feel comfortable in. In, in the endurance world, we have uh, an app called Strava where you can see other people's workouts and runs. And it's great for a lot of reasons, but I've definitely talked to some of my athletes about like, let's not scroll through that as much, you know, when you're looking at someone else, you know, doing the speed workout or, you know, how many miles they're running, going up, you know, getting ready for a race that you're also running. It can just kind of get in your head. So I think that's a great point, Salita, is like unfollow. If you, if it's not bringing you joy, like if you're not enjoying the photos on, on Instagram, then just remove, unfollow, take care of that mental health. The next thing I really want to touch on is the idea of burnout. So a lot of things can lead to burnout, but you know, we'll kind of stick with that perfectionist thinking. How do you see that show up in athletes? Um, I burnout, burnout's real, it, not just in athletes, but everybody like you, you do too much of anything and you don't really take care of yourself you're going to burn out of it because it's just like, what else can you get out of it? You know, if you're, if it's, if it's bringing you joy to get better and all of these things, but if it's bringing you like that negative, like I'm not good enough, I, you know, why can't I do this? But yet no one else is doing what you're doing. Then you got to reevaluate like how, how it's negatively impacting your mental health. And if it's not bringing you joy anymore, I think that's when that burnout really hits because it's just like, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't what I love anymore. And so then it's just taking a step back. And like I said before, and with anything in uh, mental health is digging really deep down with inside yourself and figuring out what is it that you love? What brings you happiness? And what can I do to, to, to move forward? Right. And I think that that's a huge piece. They see people like Kobe Bryant or Serena Williams or, you know, um, UFC fighters that train and eat and that's all they do. But again, you see what they want you to see on social media, right? Because you people didn't see that before in like Jordan's era. You know, social media is huge with this burnout because you think that you have to do something every minute of every day to keep making yourself better. You know what also makes you better? Sleeping a full eight hours a day, eating three meals a day and not always having to just eat broccoli and some meat and, you know, some veggies like splurging every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? I think that those things are huge of remembering like, again, people show you what they want to show you. And also they rest, they sleep, they go on family vacations. It's you, you really have to find that balance. And I would say, you know, uh, just adding to that, um, you know, when an athlete feels that there's that external expectation from others to be perfect, um, which is what we call socially prescribed perfectionism, um, then the athlete feels like they can't let others down, right? They have to practice harder. They have to try to meet their own high expectations. Um, they have to try to meet the expectations of what they think um, of what they believe others are expecting them to do. And when they realize that, you know, they really can't probably keep up with that pace, there's this reduced sense of accomplishment. Um, And they sometimes start to lose interest um, in continuing, right? They just become physically and mentally exhausted. 
And like Salita said, like rest is so important, right? Sleeping, taking a break, taking some time away, um, doing other things that they also love, right? Other hobbies, other activities. Um, because when we don't do that, when we become kind of that, again, that hyper-focused on one thing and on, on becoming perfect in this one thing, um, you know, it does take the joy out of stuff. Right. And, um, I think, I think it's really hard for, for athletes when, um, they don't enjoy the moment, much like what Salida was kind of talking about earlier, when they become so focused on becoming perfect in something that they can't even enjoy the process. They can't enjoy the moment. They can't enjoy a win, right? Even when their team does really well and they, they do win, it's, it's like, I can't really enjoy this because I've got to be focused on the next thing. And how am I going to get better for the next game? Um, and so where's the fun in that? right? Like that, there, there just isn't any anymore. And so I think that's, that's when it can start to kind of become that burnout also. When, when you feel like you're never good enough, like where's the fun in that either, right? When you're constantly kind of trying to keep up that pace um, of, I have to be perfect for myself. I have to be perfect for others. And if I'm never feeling like I am good enough, and I constantly striving, 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 and never really meeting that goal, then that, that really becomes kind of self-defeating and it, it, it's not fun anymore. The joy is kind of lost. There, there isn't any joy in the game anymore. And, and, and talking about burnout, um, let's talk about Naomi Osaka, you know, you know, coming, um, withdrawing from the French open, right. That, I think that's a form of burnout, right. These, these tournaments and these organizations have high expectation of these players, right? And it's not like she has not been transparent about her depression and anxiety in the past. And she sat at a news conference and told them how sad she was. And they kept asking her questions instead of being like, you know what, let us let it go. But you know that it's a business. And so with the business, they 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 need you to do X, Y, and Z. Okay. And that's exactly how people at regular jobs, nine to five, you know, working for companies get burnt out because people don't care about their mental health. You know, the little yoga, 30 minute yoga session during the day at work is not going to help my mental health. Her saying no, I think is a, the best form of self-care of like, I'm not doing press conferences because I'm feeling very depressed. I need to take care of my own well-being. It's huge because that also leads to burnout of, you know, especially for pro athletes are the expectations of them. And I think um, Kevin Love on the podcast, All the Smoke, um, he was a guest on that show and talked about he wasn't hired to be a public speaker. He was hired to play the game, right? So I think that's a huge piece of remembering pro athletes are human. (laughs) They're really, they really are people. And so if they don't feel like doing a press conference, they shouldn't be made to do a press conference. You know how hard it is to sit there after a game that you just lost that you put your all into and have to sit there in tears in front of cameras and reporters not being sensitive enough to to leave you alone and asking you these hard questions. It's it's appalling. It it, it really is because, you know, 
mental health is getting talked more and more and more about by these athletes. And I think that these policies need to change because it's adding to that burnout of, you know, professional players of, you know, always having to do eat right, train right, you know, be perfect in public, right? Or else they're going to get dragged by social media or cancel culture in it. And it's, and it's a huge piece. And so I think with Naomi, it, that right there is a form of burnout. And like, I commend her for being like, you know what, let me step back because this shouldn't be made about me. I'm telling you guys that it's about my mental health and you're making it into a bigger situation than what it really is. So let me, let me step back. And I'm like that right there, I think is a definition of burnout of her just being like, you know what? I can't even compete this time because I need to take care of myself. This is not worth my mental health. I, I think she was very brave to do what she did um, by, by saying that, by stepping up. And the, the, what, what I think is a shame in all of that, though, and I hope this is a wake-up call to many organizations, sports organizations, is that she had to choose. She had to choose her mental health or to play the game that she loves, right, or that she loves. And I just don't think that that should ever have to be a choice, right? I think she should be able to take care of her mental health in a way that 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 she needs to, that she sees fit. Um, and if that means stepping away from media, um, then that should be okay. And other organizations and sports organizations should be able to say, you know, like what Salida was saying, that it's okay, that they don't have to be, they, they weren't hired for you know, to be that public speaker, to be the, the, the representative of that sport, right? They were hired to play the game. And, um, and I think it's really sad that she had to make that choice. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for her bravery and for her own um, well-being to say enough is enough and I need to take, take a break. Um, but, I'm sad for her that she had to feel like she had to make the choice that other people that the, that the organization didn't support her enough to say, you know what, you don't have to do some of this media or any of the media, take your time, do what you need to do. Um, We'll support you in that. Instead, it kind of became that berating thing, which again, kind of leads to what others expect of you and the perfectionism that others expect of you. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that kind of reared its ugly head. Um, but this is exactly what I was talking about when I said, you know, when I, one of the reasons I got involved in this is to be that advocate for with and for uh, athletes to help other organizations and other people realize that they are people. They're, they're not just commodities. And I feel like this is a perfect example of how they really treated Naomi as a commodity right? You're the number number two player in the world. You're making all this money. You need to be in front of the cameras. You are what is going to make us money. You're the ratings, right? So you need to be in front of that camera, not on the court, off the court. That's all about money. That's all about the bottom line. It's not about her or her well-being as a human and as an athlete. And I know this is kind of a segue of where we like work, what we're going to talk about, but I think, you know, it's, it's pertinent and it's something that I do want to dive into with both of you, since you mentioned intersectionality, 
But the fact that she's a woman, she's an athlete of color, how do you think that kind of affected how how the media treated her? <laughs> I, I, I'm not laughing. I'm... <laughs> this is like my own form of like defensive mechanism of like laughing because as a woman of color playing sports all my life, you know, there's a lot of intersectionalities that I face. Now imagine being a pro playing at the elite level. Oh my God. Like, let's talk about her, her, her age. Like she's 23 years old having to make these decisions. Right. Like that's just crazy. And even her willingness to be like, I'm going to have conversations about how they can change these outdated policies is amazing for a 23 year old woman to do these things. Right. Um, And then also her navigating her race, because, you know, you've seen her in past tournaments wearing the mask saying George Floyd, wearing Trayvon Martin, wearing all of these black lives matters. Right. Um, And, and, you know, going against what, she's supposed to do, which is just play, you know, shut up and dribble kind of like what they told LeBron was just shut up and dribble. You're, you're, you just need to play. Like that's your role. Absolutely not. She is able to get to people on our larger scale. So she's going to do it. Um, and then as a female, while well, we, we see how they treat female athletes, we see that they don't get as nice as equipment as their male counterparts like the March Madness, if we want to go back, you know, you saw the little weight room that the women had versus the immaculate weight room that the men had. You see how they treated uh, Serena Williams when she wore that black suit, um, which was created for um, blood clots after her, her having her daughter, you know what I'm saying? And them being like, oh, you can't wear that. Well, why? Because she's a black woman with curves and it makes you uncomfortable it sounds like that's a you problem not a serena williams problem right and so it's it's all of these things right and so it women are definitely treated differently and are are definitely have a different expectation on how they have to act how they have to react to when they're angry right that we saw the way that they again treated Serena Williams in tennis when you know she got angry and you know them wanted to throw her out and you see the same video of a guy doing the same thing right it's just and then the pay equity I can go on and on for days about the way that you know mm-hmm. sports treat women right and I can say even for myself and I and it's like back to what Jessica said earlier I'm a woman I'm a woman of color and I've been here I've been in sports I know what you guys are talking about when you you guys talk about like race and gender and how like it affects you know your your sport of choice you know when I tell people that I box and and before I can even get into like how much I love it and how much you know all of these things it's why would you want to mess up your pretty face what it's not your face (laughs) it's my face and and again, this is, do you ask males this when they box, right? Like, are you kidding me? So it it's, that's a huge piece. And like Jessica said before, I'm here to advocate, especially for women, um, you know, women athletes, because the way that they are treated, and I'm, I've been using this word more and more, is just appalling. And we have a lot of work to do in the sports industry, in the sports world to really navigate 
these conversations because it's 2021. We shouldn't be having, you know, these conversations where they're questioning Serena Williams and questioning Naomi Osaka and questioning, you know, all of these different things. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, ugh. Yeah, and I don't, I, I can't really add any, anything, you know, more to that. I think, I think Salita said everything well, and I think that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, right? Talking about the inequities in sports um, in general and specifically to, to women. Um, and, and there's a lot of other uh, intersectionalities in there uh, regarding other underrepresented populations, LBG, LGBTQ plus, and, and, you know, there's just, um you know, trans and all of that. So I think, I think that, that, like I said, you know, could be more than, that could be a couple of podcasts probably. Um, (laughs) um, But I agree with everything Salita said, and I think she said it well. And I just think, I think that there are just way too many inequities still um, in the world of sports. And I think um, it's unfortunate how that, that microcosm of sports is really a representation kind of of society at large, right? So you you can look at everything that's going on in sports and all of the inequities in sports and 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 kind of um, with this with this microscope, right? Because it's kind of this smaller um, realm, right? But we blow that up, and basically everything that's happening in that world of sports is happening at in society at large. Um, so once again, athletes are not immune to what's happening in bigger society, right? It's actually probably felt more intensely because it's a smaller community, um, of, of, especially in the elite athlete world, right? Smaller community of people who actually make it to that, to that level. Um, and so the spotlight and the microscope is, is even more intense. Um, and so they may even be feeling it at a, at a deeper level than what maybe somebody who's not in sports might be feeling it, but we don't like to see that. And we don't like to talk about it, um, because it's unpleasant. It's the unpleasant side of society and it's the unpleasant side of sports. And so we tried to avoid that, um, and just focus, let's just focus on the fun. Let's just focus on the, on the good, right? Let's sweep all of that under the rug and and just move on um but that's the unfortunate piece of of that i think and um i really appreciate both of you i know again we weren't really planning on talking about that but both of you just answering so eloquently and being open and authentic in your answers i it's just awesome and i think we need more of that in the sports world just as you said um you know where we're able to talk about that in our communities because you know sports is a community right? Like that's how, as a runner, I feel connected to someone else who mentions that they're a runner. Um, and I'm, I know that's how you guys probably feel when you find out someone played softball or that they're a boxer, or even just that they like to go to the gym and lift is like, you have that immediate bond Mm -hmm. so that we can connect and talk about the big things in this community, I think is so awesome. Um, so really appreciate you both there before I let you guys go. Um, I do want to just end with kind of advice you would give athletes, uh, who are dealing with kind of that negative self-talk or a negative mindset? Uh, my advice is to seek counseling. You know, it's not a negative thing. Like we need to start normalizing it. Like you just have to have a person that you can talk to, that you can trust, that's not going to tell anybody else, right? And just listen to you and not interrupt and and 
and get you to where you need to be in terms of ideas of like, what's going to help? What are some coping skills? What are some other things, you know, like thinking outside the box that are going to help you? How do we like get down to the real issue of where are these, you know, anxieties coming from? Whereas, you know, where do you think that this perfectionism need, like need comes from? Right. And so I think counseling is a big key of, finding you a sports counselor like me or Jessica. Jessica also has like, is working on a list of clinicians out here in Colorado, you know, to put out. Um, And also, you know, if, if you're not willing to do counseling, finding someone trusted to talk to, being open about it, starting to have these conversations with, you know, teammates, because who knows, maybe one of your teammates is feeling the same exact way. Um, and then finding outlets, finding another outlet other than sports that you can, is your go-to when sports is stressing you out. Like I said at the very beginning, what are, is it hiking? Is it snowboarding? Is it taking a walk? Is it watching movies? You know, what is it? You It's just exploring those, those different things to figure out what's going to work for you. Um you know, just self-care too, which isn't bubble baths, which isn't getting your nails done, which isn't having dinner. Those are forms of self-care, yes, but it's also like Naomi saying no to like some expectations that people have of you and just being like, no, that's not going to work for me today. And being your own advocate, I think is the best of, best form of self-care. Yeah, I agree with everything Salia said. And I would just add that you know, for, for athletes to try to understand and, and have a little bit of a mind shift that, that mistakes and failure aren't, um, aren't something to be feared, um, but instead to use them as, you know, a learning tool for improvement and to keep your progression moving forward, right? Failure plays a role in your success, right? We learn from the things that we do wrong. We learn from those mistakes and then we make them better. And then there can be some some better outcomes, right? And just because one thing happened, um, you know, we don't have to focus on that, but we can focus on on the process, right? And and that's that's kind of what I tell my my clients is that it is about and whether whether they're athletes or not. Um, and anybody who kind of comes to see me, one of one of my things is, you know, it's this is a process and there isn't any expectation, right? There isn't an expectation for you to be perfect in, in process, right? Like therapy is not about being perfect. You can't do therapy wrong, right? Like, um, and it's, it's, it's just coming in and being yourself and enjoying the process and knowing that the process gets us to outcomes, but we don't have to focus on the outcome, right? We know we have goals, but we need to focus on the process and how we're getting there and enjoying that. Uh, a couple of other things, and maybe just one other thing that, that I kind of do with my clients when, when they're kind of in this perfectionistic and in the negative self-talk is, you know, I'll have them, uh, you know, look at maybe journal, um, whether they like to journal or maybe it's just kind of think about after, after a game, but I want them to really focus on what they did well, right? Whether that was in a practice or or in a game. And I just really want them to focus on, write out all the things that you did well, 
right? That just helps them to kind of get out of their of the, the negative piece um, and to focus on like, wow, I did this, 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 and this. And sometimes they don't even realize or recognize, oh, I did do that. And I did, you know, have this great pass that ended up in a three and I did do this or I did do that. Um, and they don't even recognize sometimes because they have been so focused on those negative things that when they actually start to look at the positive, they're kind of surprised at how many things are on that positive side. Um, and so it's just a, it's a way to start the mind shift, right? To get out of the, the negative self-talk that we have. Um, and there's some other exercises like that, um, that I, I give my clients, but, but that's just one example, um, of, of something to, to do, um, you know, after, after a game or after a practice that will really help you focus on more of those positive things. That is so great. And I think that's exactly right. As you know, kind of taking yourself out of that mindset of, of what went wrong, what went wrong and kind of that circulating thought and, and looking for the wins in, in everyday life. Um, I so appreciate both of you joining us today. It has been an amazing conversation. Um, you're both such amazing humans and you're doing such a wonderful thing for the athletic community as well as, you know, just our general global community. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it.